welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us.
cheated on my taxes or whatever it is, but it was for the good of everyone, right? I did these things, and, and then what's interesting is the things that I see as horrific or the things that I see as okay are different than the things that you see as horrific and the things that you see as okay, but I expect you to live what I believe, right? And this is so common in the church. So it's like, man, I, I, I'm going to hold you to the standard by which I believe these sins are, are so horrific. So if you ever do these things, you are just, I mean, you're just at the epitome of, of sin, right? And isn't it interesting that those are different for everybody? I mean, we have the normal ones, right? Like, if you're in here today and you're like, ah, you know, occasionally I do murder, Okay, that's a problem, and the odds are you're not leaning that direction, right? Like, okay, I know I murder people, but that's like one I don't really care about, right? So we have like these things that are ingrained in us because we're created by God where we have um, certain, I, I guess, aspects of morality where we kind of as a culture say, well, this is wrong. But when we get into those gray areas like we talked about last week, we get into those, those things where we begin to justify sin. I, I've realized that there's several things that we'll do when we sin. We'll, we'll either begin to blame someone else for it. We either just accept it and say, well, it is what it is and I can't change. We get to a point where we say, I'm just going to keep working harder and harder and harder to try to overcome this sin. Or we say, you know what? Scripture says I need to repent and give this to Jesus and and he'll continue to forgive me and love me and give me the grace and the power to keep trying to overcome my sin in him. And those are kind of our options. But it's interesting that however we choose to kind of handle those things, it's also how we expect others to handle it. And what I'm trying to present to you is our hypocrisy. And I think that's where James is headed here. He's helping us understand in this passage that even though we classify certain sins as more horrific and we try to hold others to certain standards and we think that everybody should live the way that we live or whatever that is, that we're all actually wrong. And so from that perspective, we're going to dive in here. The Pharisees and the religious elite and the heroes were often those that the Jews looked at and like, they're not supposed to be the hero like the Samaritans. Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He would point to the individuals that he knew they didn't want to serve. That's your neighbor. Right? I wonder what it would look like. I, I can tell you right now, I am, I try to do this. Like, there's moments, and you're probably in the same position where you go, okay, like, I loved this person, like, I believe, to the best of my ability, like Jesus would. Like, I did that, and I, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit used me, and I feel like much was done out of this, and I showed the love of Jesus effectively in this moment. And then, ten minutes later, I can tell you, I will also go, I did not show that person the love of Jesus or treat them as a neighbor, right? So we have this kind of back and forth. We have these moments where I go, yes, I was successful in doing this once. I wasn't successful in doing it again. I can do it over and over the same day. Where at the end of the day, if I were, really were 
were to evaluate how I treated my neighbor, did I follow this law, I would say, well, I kind of did. Or I build myself up to the point where I go, well, I did it. Lord, did you see that? Like, I think there's something kind of egotistical in us sometimes where we're like, Lord, you're so lucky to have me. Right? Like, did you see what I did? Like, I chose you in this moment, and that's what happened. And, you know, no, nobody else would have done that. Did you see what I sacrificed? And we build ourselves up to this point where we begin to, like, hold on to our own accolades. And then when we don't do it, we just kind of push that aside and we'll provide some sort of excuse as to why we didn't do it. I was busy. I was in a bad mood. Um, my spouse upset me. Uh, work is hard. I'm tired. There's a Taylor Swift concert tonight, and I just can't be bothered. Whatever it is, right? We do that all the time. And I think one of the things that James is really going to try to instill in us here is we live lives of kind of partiality where we're, we'll elevate ourselves up when we're doing something that we feel is holy or that Jesus would want us to do, and then we make excuses when we don't. And then at the end of the day, if we, it's like we have this pile of good, good things that we've done, and if you know it's, it starts here, and then when we do something that we maybe we shouldn't have done, we start pulling things from the pile. At the end of the day, if there's still something in the pile, we're like, it was a successful day. Right? And what we find ourselves doing is end up kind of living a life that the gospel is based upon the works that we're performing instead of who Jesus actually is. It's really interesting. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the laws as transgressors. We talked about partiality a little bit last week. Right? It's probably one of those sins that, it, on, a, on its smallest scale, doesn't really seem to be a big deal. Like, I believe in nepotism, <laughs> even though I don't, right? You know, it, we say in this country, or we say in the business world, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. That concept, we're using constantly. Right? It's, well, I have a friend that can do this, or I know this person, and therefore it can leverage me into this area. Or, oh, you need a favor. Okay, I know somebody that can help us do that. And we kind of build our case around this idea that, all right, we've got, you know, it's about who we know.
constantly balancing this. I'm doing it well. I'm not doing it well. I'm struggling. I'm doing great. There's things that I'm doing well in serving, and there's not things I'm doing well in serving. And then we got to look at the church around us and go, they're in the same boat right now. And I've got to get to this place where I understand that even individuals who may be struggling with something I don't struggle with are probably, hopefully, by the will of God, still in that balanced position where they're doing things and, and serving the Lord in ways that maybe we don't see and it's beautiful, but they're also failing in other ways. And when we place ourselves and, and the entire church body in that same position, things begin to change. James enhances this by saying, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. For he who says, do not commit adultery, also says, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. This is anti-American. Right? It's anti-human, to be honest. We just enhance it as Americans. Anti-human to believe that we're not okay because we weigh heavier on the good than the bad. That's kind of how we judge things. Yes, I, I, well, I serve that person, so what I watch at the theater doesn't really matter. Right? If I look at the good deeds that are in my life and the way that maybe I'm conforming to the world, I can justify that I'm really a good person and I really do employ attempt to employ God's will in my life, even though there's these things that are there that I can excuse. But what Scripture tells us is that if we just fail in one area, one, then we're guilty of all. You know why. I've come to the conclusion that the reason that I sin is because I don't hate it enough. Because I don't hate it enough, I don't understand God's hate for it. Like, there's certain sins, like I've been talking about, where I go, I hate that one. Right? I'll respond very vocally. I'll be loud about it. I'll stand in, in front of somebody. I'll take the heat, whatever it is, but this is not going to happen. And then there's other ones where it's like, well, you know. I, I don't hate it enough. And you don't either. I don't know that we can ever get to that point, but the whole severity of this is that God hates sin so much because it goes against the law that he gave, and the law represents his character. So when we say, I know who God is, and I love him, and I know what his character is, and I know what he's commanded me to do, and I refuse to do it, then it's a stain on God's character. And so God says, if, you stay, if you're staying once, you're staying in my character in everything. Murder, adultery, lying, abuse, homosexuality, pride, lust, whatever it is. If you commit one, you're guilty of all. It doesn't work in our economy. It's accurate. And I 
think until we as Christ followers really own this one, it's going to be hard for us to grasp what he's really asking us to do next. And what he's asking us to do next is beautiful. But the the disdain oftentimes that we can hold toward other people or the disdain oftentimes that we can hold toward other individuals in the church or the judgmental attitudes of saying, well, man, I know I'm a mess. We might say this doctrinally. I've come in contact with other proudly. I know I'm a mess, but I'm not as much of a mess as you because you're still doing A, B, and C. Because now we put ourselves in a prideful position where we, go, we believe that we're the ones that need to speak up about it. Scripture tells us all the time if we're going to confront somebody, we better take the speck out of our own eye before we, or the log out of our own eye before we move the speck out of our neighbor's, right? What is that really self telling us? If you're going to approach somebody, you better understand that you're in the same position they are from a sin perspective. Yours may look different. approach your brother and say, hey, I'm seeing something in your life that's that's not great, and let me share with you also the things that I'm going through on my life that aren't great, and let's pray together to try to help get through these things. But that's not really what happens.
as long as the gospel is forefront. And then I watched the church, the body, the universal body of Christ begin to rip itself apart as somebody begins to, who didn't have the courage to say it to his face, will begin to say it once he's dead. on a global scale, what I saw this week is okay, these people love Tim Keller, these people didn't love Tim, Tim Keller whose life is wrapped around the gospel. There may be some few differences that are going on but the church just takes this split and then the world looks at it and goes I don't like these people. They don't even treat their own well. Addresses this in Scripture. He's got people that are teaching a little bit different, but sticking with the gospel, right? And he has this group of individuals come to him, and they're like, "Paul, this is happening." He's like, "It's about Jesus. Jesus is being glorified. It's good. I don't care if they're following me. I don't care if they're following him. It's about Jesus." Even back then, it was such a struggle. I think what. This passage this week and looking at the Tim Keller's death and then all of the stuff that's been going on and the tension around individuals in the church. It's just a, a magnification of what happens with us as individuals. Right? And I believe that this is the I believe that what James has said here explains why we're like that. Because in our heart of hearts, we really do believe that we're better than other people. And some of you just went, I am, and so there's a problem. Right? We literally go, well, I don't see myself as the same, I don't see myself dealing with the same problem, I don't see myself having to deal with the same solution, I... I from the exact same disease and that's sin. And there's only one cure and that's Jesus. Nothing else matters. And when the church itself doesn't continually remind itself, the people remind itself that I have only good in me by the grace of God and it's not I that's good but Him. And the only reason that I can even desire to do what we talked about last week is because the gospel and the power of the gospel would work inside of me because I know, I know that oftentimes I'll do the right thing for the wrong reason even. Until we truly grasp the nature of our own hearts, we're never going to be able to be as effective at reaching other people because we're always going to be holding them at an arm's distance with judgment in our heart. the church is called to judge each other. But I think sometimes we take that to a point where we forget that we're also part of the problem. There's a humbling here that I think James is trying to help us understand. There's a humbling that needs to occur.
instead of the he view, which I find it fascinating that he used two that are like, I don't know, maybe in today's culture, adultery isn't a big deal anymore. Maybe not. I, I don't know. It seems like that was kind of softened a bit, right? But murder seems to still be pretty high. Like, that one hasn't softened yet, right? So he uses these two examples, but back in that culture, adultery was massive. It was seen at the same level as murder, right? And so he takes two, like, really heavy sins, and he says, you know, you're complaining to people about their adultery, and you're confronting them on their adultery, when in your heart you're actually murdering people on the other end. And that's not gospel. to a different standard and you're going, yeah, well, that's great, but I'm committing adultery over here. And however it is, you're justifying what you're doing. It's not as bad as what that person's doing. Right? And what, is, what does the Lord say? It's all bad. It's all bad. All of it. And that's the point. Your sin is more horrific than we think that it is. In God's eyes. And that's this level that we have to come to. Why? Like I said, so that we can actually act on this. Verse 12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the church. And he's saying, Church, you are no longer slaves to sin because of Jesus. You are free. You are free to make choices. You are free to live how you desire. You you do not, you, you are no longer, your, your soul, your eternal soul is no longer bound to sin. You are forgiven. You have hope. But you also have the ability to choose. You can rechain yourself to sin if you so desire. Foolishness. And we do. You can choose to do that which is right. You can choose to do that which is wrong. Your, your freedom is found in Christ. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled everything that we were supposed to do. This is why the law is so pivotal in the gospel. Because Jesus fulfilled it. He didn't just come and say, oh, I got you. He says, you know, I, you guys are a mess and I'll, I'll die for you and we're fine. The beginning of the gospel is that Jesus comes and lives a perfect life. He he actually fulfills every single law and represents the character of God perfectly. He does what we can't do. He, He did all of that for us. He goes, Kevin, you can't fulfill the law. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. You, you, you're, you're judgmental. You have your things, all the things that we talked about. So you can't do it, but I can. So he fulfills every aspect of it. He tr- Every single opportunity to treat his neighbor like God would want them treated, he did. You know, you say, well, I've, I've never murdered anybody. Well, maybe. Scripture says if we murder somebody in our heart, we've killed them. Right? Well, I've never committed adultery. Well, Scripture says that if we've done it in our heart, then we've done it. You realize Jesus never
ever did that. Even his enemies. I mean, the epitome of this. Like, i got to be honest. Like, if, if I was being crucified, I don't think I would find love for those that were beating me. I don't think that what would come out of my mouth is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think what would be coming out of my mouth is, stop it. This hurts. And I would probably be yelling at these individuals, right? Even if I deserved it. Trying to come up with some sort of excuse to make the pain stop. Even at his greatest moment of pain and suffering, Jesus said, I love you. I love you. The guy's doing ministry on the cross. Right? He's nailed to a cross and he looks at the guy next to him and he's like, yeah, you're going to be with me. I get tired and don't do that. There's there's this misunderstanding, I think, to its greatest core that the church doesn't realize that what Jesus has given us is the ability to live lives of liberty. Freedom. And all this is tied together. That's why James would go, well, if you know Jesus and you're free and you have the decision-making capabilities to do good or to follow the law or not follow the law or to honor Jesus or not follow Jesus, and he's freed you from that, then why are we blaming God when we're doing it? Why are we saying that God's testing me? He freed us. It's, it would be like, I don't know, like, you... You're, you're, you're a slave to something, whatever it is. I don't know if you can think of slavery even in here, where, okay, now I'm free, and now everything that I do within my freedom, I'm going to blame upon the person that freed me. It's weird. He's saying, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We have this faith works, this speaking and this action. The speaking and the action should be played out as the gospel is played out in our lives to go, I understand that I couldn't fulfill the law and continue to fail it constantly, but Jesus did it for me. And I deserve the retribution and the wrath of God for eternity, but I don't have to deal with that because Jesus took that for me. And therefore, I live on this earth in every breath I take and everything that I get and every blessing that's in my life is from the source of God himself through Jesus. And I'm free. I have the ability in Christ to actually say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I have the ability in Christ to go, no, I won't. And we've done that. You have those like things in your life where you get really excited when you say no, even though maybe weeks later you say yes. But that no moment is like, here's the thing. I, I think this is practical. If we take the credit for those no's, then we're going to miss the opportunity to continue to say no. We're to speak and act like individuals who have been freed. And we're supposed to do that with each other. Freedom to not have to do that. 
verse 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. What does this mean? It means that if we don't really get this, there's going to come a point where things are going to get really crazy. And your salvation isn't on the, on the line here if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's, that's just good theology. That's sealed. Right? But what is on the line is your ability to live it out. And how you choose to treat others is going to be how others are going to respond to you. I, I have found it fascinating that, like, when you talk to people, and I see this in my own life, though, but if you ever, like, somebody who's a thief, they always feel like they're getting stolen from. Right? Isn't that interesting? Somebody who's a cheater always feels like they're getting cheated on. Somebody who's a liar always feels like they're being lied to. Why? Because the sins that we give into overwhelm our minds. We know how to get away with it. We know what it feels like, and then we assume that everybody else is struggling with that same way, and they're after us, right? It's just, it's interesting how that works. Scripture says we're actually even free from that. But if we're constantly living that life where we're, we're holding on to, okay, I know my struggle, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not going to judge myself in this. I'm going to judge others in their struggle. Like, here's what's happening. There's, this, isn't a, this isn't a celebration of freedom anymore. It's, it's I'm not going to show mercy. I'm not going to understand that that person's in the same position that I'm in. They're struggling maybe with something different, but I'm also struggling. And if I'm not willing to show them the mercy in Christ to help them along the way, to help each other along the way, to really humble ourselves down so that we don't just give judgment and we show mercy, then God says, then you're not going to receive any. And it's not that he's going to eliminate that, because he's a merciful God. He's always there. The gospel is solid. What is happening here? Well, you're not going to receive mercy from other people. You're going to be dealt with the same way that you deal with. And one of the things that I've, I've asked myself at certain times, I think when you ever feel like, man, I feel like I'm really getting picked on today. You know, those moments, sometimes it's just unjust, right? Or, why is it everybody's angry with me today? The first question that we should be asking is, what did I do to make everybody angry? <laughs> but you know what I usually say? Everybody's in such a bad mood today. What's going on? I've done something where everybody's angry, and now I want to make some sort of excuse as to why they're angry instead of giving the mercy to go and, and realizing, okay, I did something, and I need to repent for this, and I need to deal with this, and, and then well, the response will be, will be different. But once again, marriage to me is always such a great analogy for the gospel. You know, I, I told... Um, Recently, your marriage isn't 50-50, right? It's 100-100. So in marriage, what God asks you to do is give 100% of yourself to the other, regardless of how much they're giving in return. It's 100-100, right? Marriage will fail as soon as you go, I'm not going to give because you're not giving, right? It's just as soon as you think it's 50-50, because that never works. It's never perfect 50-50. There's been moments in my life where I can't give anything. So 
thank God Christy's giving 100%. There's moments where Christy can't give anything, so thank God I'm giving 100%, and we keep moving forward. Right? That's, that's important. We have to have that same mindset when it comes to others and the gospel. It's, uh, I'm not going to treat someone as this messed up individual and treat myself like I'm so much better than them. This, if there's going to be a relationship here in the gospel, it's I'm going to give 100% of myself in mercy, in grace, to my neighbor, regardless of what I'm getting in return. And you go, well, that seems impossible. It's not impossible. Jesus did it. And I already gave an example of it. Well, if you don't know, I understand. I'm not saying that it's easy. In fact, I'm saying that it's impossible. But it's still the requirement. And this is the thing. What would it look like if the church just did it within? Like, forget the world out there. Like, what would happen if the church just actually went, like, you're humbling yourself down to understand that you struggle. I'm humbling myself down to understand that I struggle. And we're uniting together to say, hey, how do we apply the gospel to both of us in this situation? Instead of cancel, 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 cancel. What would it look like if regardless of some doctrinal differences... The church, the universal church said, wow, somebody like Tim Keller, the Lord used to make an impact. We know he wasn't perfect. We know he's a dirty, rotten sinner. But he preached the gospel, and people came to faith, and we celebrated that instead of judged it. What would happen? What would happen if we actually used our freedoms in Christ to live out joy-filled lives with one another? I mean, it sounds radical, and it's supposed to be what it is. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Sometimes I wonder, I know we live in sin cursed by sin cursed world, but sometimes I wonder if we make things a lot harder than it's supposed to be. Like, is it, I know it's hard. Is it, is it harder than it should be because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing? Is it harder than it should be because we're constantly looking for that thing that offends us in an individual instead of celebrating how they're succeeding? There's some litmus tests, I think, here. Like, how much of your day do you spend frustrated? excuses, talking about other people's issues. I, I think if we're really real about that and you clocked this, it would be a pretty high percentage. I mean, we're, we're human, so we always want to celebrate people's failures over their successes. We hate winners. It's like in Boston, we demand winners, and then when they win, we hate them.
mercy trumps judgment in Christ. In Christ, mercy trumps judgment. Why? Because if we got what we deserved, we'd all be going to hell. But God's mercy through the person of Jesus keeps us from all judgment. And what he's claiming should be happening is the liberties that we have in the gospel, the church should be living out this manifest in our life. Because of who we are, because we've been saved by grace, because God's mercy has been poured upon you and me. That mercy trumps judgment. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that judgment's removed. Don't, it, we, we, this isn't one or the other. They're both there. But as human beings saved by mercy and grace... We are to employ that mercy and grace first and foremost. We are to view each other through the eyes of the gospel. And just like Jesus, when he said, hey, there's some things in your life that you need to stop, that grace was always there. That mercy was always there. That love was always there. It wasn't dependent upon something else. It's we as the church are are required to love one another. We're required to love our neighbor. We're required to love those who don't believe. We're required to love our enemy. We're required to be merciful. And if that's I know that's a struggle for us, but it comes back to the reason it's such a struggle for us is because we don't really believe that our sin is that horrific, and we believe everybody else's is. And we don't really believe that the Lord has the ability to make the changes that need to be made in an individual just like He makes in us. And we don't really believe that individuals deserve mercy because we think for some reason that we deserve it because we're okay. My pile's bigger. What James is trying to do in all of this is put everybody on the same platform. And he's saying, look, we're all a mess. We're all a mess. Be merciful. Judgment is for the Lord. Be merciful. Start that. Let's err on the side of mercy because that's what we were given. So how are you doing in this area? Like, think about your week for me. Think about the conversations. Think about the interactions. Think about how you treated your significant other. Think about how things went at work. Percentages that went on in your head of the conversations that you had, were they grounded in mercy or judgment? And then ask yourself, is, is the issue that I really believe that I'm better than I am? I really believe that I'm better than these individuals? 
individual. I mean, I might give lip service and say, well, I don't really believe that, but this says, say and act like it. So, what needs to change? This is a heavy topic, but it's so beautiful in the aspect that do you realize what God is actually asking us to do? Just love each other? In the gospel? In Christ? To attempt to use the gift that He's given us to give it to other people? Like this, it's weighty, but it's also amazing. It's not like he, this is a rally cry to go out and hurt people. This is a rally cry to love people. It's a rally cry to apply the gospel the way that it's been applied to you. It's a rally cry to say, do you really understand what Jesus saved you from? And are you living the joy of that? And is it contagious or not? the first time you've heard the gospel and you're like, well, you know, I always thought it was about me being good. I'm just, I'm here and I love you enough to tell you you can't be good enough to please a perfect God. And if you're holding yourself to some sort of accountability outside of the gospel, then we go back to what James says, that if you failed in one area, you failed them in all, then you've offended a holy God and it's not going to be tolerated. what you need to do is humble yourself down to say, wow, my life is as hard as I've worked is, it adds up to a big, messy pile. And the only solution is Jesus. For the church, we just need to ask ourselves how we're doing in this area. True, we need a true evaluation of self. I'm here. There it is. Right? So what is the Holy Spirit doing? What needs to change? How do you really need to see yourself? You need to see yourself as a mess, and you need to see yourself as free in Christ, and then you live it out. sing a couple more songs and the communion elements are here. I, one of the things I, I like about communion, there's some, always a debate, like what's the best way to take communion? I don't, know, I don't know. One of the things I do like about this is it provides you a personal opportunity to say if there's going to be any change in my life, it's going to have to be taken to the foot of the cross. And so there's an opportunity for you to respond. I, I would say like, Find yourself in a moment. Maybe you need to hit your knees. Maybe you need to prone yourself down and humble yourself. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. Whatever it is. And then realize that these elements symbolize the hope and the liberty that we have in Jesus because what He's willing to do. And then praise Him for it. And if, if the Holy Spirit's beating you up right now, I would say then let Him beat you up a little bit, but be reminded that there's grace and mercy celebrate and love. So whatever you need to do to take care of this, this is your time. And so I'm going to pray. We'll sing. Elements are there.
God, thank you for your word. Lord, these moments are difficult always. I, I, I don't like looking into my own heart, and I don't like seeing myself in the mirror. But Lord, I'm grateful that you love us enough to, to put that mirror in front of us. Lord, forgive us as a church. Thank you.